Hi, folks. Just a quick note before we drop into the show. If you regularly listen to this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could take a moment to give the show a good rating wherever you listen to it. Share some favorite episodes with friends and encourage people you know to follow the show if they don't already. And if you don't feel like you can give the show a five-star rating, I want to know how I can do better. Reach out to me directly on Instagram. My profile link is in the show notes. And now, on with the show. Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Hi, I'm Andrew Wallace, and welcome to the We've Got a Problem podcast, where each week we explore inspiring stories of struggle, success, and solutions to prevalent problems and how our guests have turned a problem into an opportunity. This week, I'm joined by David Medansky, former lawyer turned weight loss advocate based on his own experience with losing weight and keeping it off. David is the best-selling author, award-winning author of multiple books on the subject, including Discover Your Thinner Self, If Not Now When, and Break the Chains of Dieting, and his unique approach has earned him the moniker The Diet Contrarian, so I'm excited to get a chance to chat. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Absolutely. So I almost always start with some background because it's important to understand how we got from where we were to to now. You were an attorney. How did you go from being an attorney to being a weight loss guru of sorts? Going back a little further, like most people, when I was younger, I was fit and trim. And then life gets in the way with, you know, family obligations and work responsibilities. As an attorney, I was a divorce lawyer and I took on a lot of issues of the clients. (laughs) It's hard mm. not to, really. I mean, I, you, you wonder how therapists don't walk home and just have this huge weight on top of them when they're you know, dealing with, with depression all day long. So I totally get it. Exactly. And that's what I started dealing with was depression and anxiety. I started eating fast foods, junk foods, M&Ms, Pringles, potato chips, started exercising, and the weight crept up on me. Yeah. And finally, in July of 2016... Uh, my doctor told me, based on my lab results and being significantly overweight, that I had a 95% chance for a fatal heart attack. So he gave oh, me two options. Oh, that's good news. Oh, Great. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a yeah normal checkup for me. Uh, 95% chance. That's that's pretty high. That's that's an eye opener, isn't it? It was. And he said, "Dude, he says either lose weight or find a new doctor." And you probably should look for a new doctor because I've been after you for eight years to lose the weight and you haven't done anything. Right. Well, the light bulb went off and during the next four months I shed 50 pounds. 50 20, pounds? Yeah. 50 20, pounds. 50 that's, pounds. That's, I mean, that, that's four weeks, 50 pounds. That's more than the... No, no, one four and, months. Four months. Uh, well, four months, even then, four months, 50 pounds. I'm sorry, yeah. But I'm thinking four months, 50 pounds, that's more than, than the one and a half, two pounds a week that... I hear bandied about what you're supposed to lose, like, oh, here's the healthy healthy way to do it. That's a lot. I mean, that's that's big loss. It is. It's 25% of my total body weight. And how I did it was through HCG, which is no longer available. Oh. It's not okay. approved anymore by the FDA. And HCG is a hormone from pregnant women, and it tricks your body to burning fat instead of muscle because you're on 550 calories per day for six weeks. Oh, wow. And if you are on 550 calories per day without the HCG, your body would burn muscle instead of fat, which is detrimental to your health. The problem with that program is that 90% of people who lost weight doing that all regained it within a year, some even more. Mm -hmm. In fact, I know six friends or colleagues personally who lost the weight doing that, and all of them gained their weight back. Right. I kept my weight off because what I did, I changed my lifestyle and eating habits. 
I went back and started reading the books from the 1970s by Paul and Patricia Bragg, Richard Simmons, uh, Jack LaLanne, William Dufty Sugar Blues, which is a classic and still Mm -hmm. very relevant today. And then I started reading the books by uh, so-called experts today about weight loss. And what I found is that the people back in the 70s were promoting basic health that we all know what to do. We just don't do it. Right. And the authors today are promoting their products or services, and they imply that if you don't buy their product or service, you're going to fail. Right. And that you need it. So that's when I started looking at basic principles. And I call them the nine golden rules of weight loss for people who love to eat. Mm-hmm. And when well, people look at it, you know, they're like, well, I know that. And I, I tell them, I understand you know that. Are you doing it? And we're right. like, well, no. Well, yeah. that's the issue. Why not? Well, and, and part of the goal is here are things you probably already know deep down, but you don't think about. You don't internalize. Like, like talking, I mean, to take, take a, a different subject for a second, somebody who smokes, they know that it's not a good idea, but it's further down the road that they might have a consequence from it. And in the near term, look at it as... Just just a little thing. It's not that bad. And you kind of rationalize these things. You go, you know that this is going to that this is going to become an issue. So it's my job, say, as a as an educator to help make those things real for you and help you understand the the very real, very immediate consequences. I mean, that in a way, that's what happened with with you and the doctor. It's like. This is this is caught up with you. Here we are. Like you're going to ninety five percent chance. And, yeah. And at that time, I was sixty one. I'm sixty seven today. And in June of this year, I hiked Mount Kilimanjaro. Oh, that's awesome. 67. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Um, that's the kind of stuff that you can't do when um, you're horribly overweight. That's exactly. And and not only that, I was fortunate. I avoided the heart attack or the stroke or the cancers or type two diabetes. Unfortunately, I have friends of, you know, peers my age group mm-hmm. that have not been so fortunate. They've had the yeah. heart attack, the stroke, they're type 2, you know, diabetics. Yep. And with type 2 diabetes, if you're 50 or above, there's an 80% probability you're either a type 2 diabetic or a pre-diabetic. Right. And if you're a pre-diabetic, what it means is if you do not change your eating habits you will be within diabetic. the next seven years, you <laughs> yeah. will become a type yeah. 2 diabetic. I mean, 80%, that just blows my mind. And it's preventable and it's reversible. Right. Well, so, I, I mean, I, I, we, you, you mentioned it a little bit that it seems like these days the, the so-called experts are hawking their programs, their, their own set of wares, so to speak, rather than habits. They're, they're trying to get you to buy into their program. You've got to have me doing everything for you. Even on the surface, that doesn't seem like a sustainable way because I can't pay XYZ expert forever to, to be in their program to, to keep doing it. That's not a sustainable lifestyle change, right? Correct. I mean, I, and, and, and two companies I'll mention, Nutrisystem and Jenny Craig, because it requires you to buy their food. Mm-hmm. So you're either going to be on their food for the rest of your life or you're going to learn how to eat healthy and prepare your own meals healthy. The problem today is our food is being scientifically engineered to optimize our cravings for fat, salt, mm-hmm. sugar, and texture. So they become addicting. The other problem is a lot of our food is no longer made by nature. It's made in a laboratory by a person in a white lab coat. Right. And people don't realize that this food is addicting. The Doritos, the Cheetos, the Oreo cookies. In fact, Oreo cookies, they found, are more addicting than cocaine, which is <laughs> illegal. 
<laughs> a sugar is a very addicting drug, and yep. it's not been promoted as a drug. So I look at a lot of food as an alcoholic would. For mm-hmm. another, for example, I won't touch an M and M or a Pringles potato chip or a Hershey bar or something I know because I know if I start, I won't stop. Right. And so I have to look at myself like an alcoholic. If I'm going to have a drink, I know I'm in trouble. I'm not going to be able to stop myself. Well, isn't that on the Pringles can? Once you start, you just can't stop. I mean, it's one of those has that is their actual marketing slogan. It is. And and not only that, Lay's Potato says, bet you can't have just one. That's not a dare. That's a fact. Yeah. So yeah, they're they're advocating that. They're they're telling you you're addicted to it. Right. Right. I I mean, one of the... Because you mentioned sugar, right? And that Oreo cookies are more addictive than cocaine, which I totally believe because I can't put them down uh, if, if I have them. And by the way, they're better from the freezer for all you people out there uh, who, who just want to go way off the wagon. But I heard somebody say that one of the issues that is, is how we think about sugar, flour, all these kinds of things. All these white powders, cocaine, white sugar, white flour, they're basically highly refined pharmaceutical grade, whatever they are. It's refined to be the most potent form of the thing, just like cocaine. And we're just putting that in everything. Oh, it's in everything in the high fructose corn syrup. And now they mislabel it or change the name of it so people don't know what they're getting. The problem also is when people read a nutritional fact panel or label on Mm -hmm carton or a can they look at the wrong things they usually look at the calories the servings the protein the sugars the fat the sodium very few people read the very fine print which is the ingredients (laughs) and if you look at the ingredients and you see what you're putting in your body you may not want to do that the other thing is our bodies are incredible machines and we need to give your body the right fuel just like you would a machine and most people take better care of their automobiles than they do their own bodies. <laughs> Boy, that's a that's an observation. Although, I, I, and a lot of people don't take very good care of their cars. Um, so you can imagine what kind of care they're taking of their bodies. But the 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 fact becomes again. I think that that people look at it as a I'll do this later, uh, or I'll, I'll I'll I've still got time and. And not realizing the runway is getting shorter, the more pounds you put on, the harder it is to lose them. And that's that may be one of the things that a lot of so-called experts today are selling is that large, massive weight change, weight loss is possible for most people and sustainable without some serious rethinking of how they live their lives. Right. Oh, all you need to do is just avoid carbs. You'll lose the weight once you've lost the weight. You're good. And instead, you need to make a lifestyle change or you're going to you might lose some weight. You might. Right. Some of these programs have shown to be very effective in short term weight loss. But how long are you going to be able to maintain it? Because like you say, the weight crept on for you over time. Right. You didn't suddenly gain 50 pounds. It takes a lot of time, and that weight, once you've lost it, can easily sneak up a couple of pounds a year, and suddenly you're right back to where you were or worse because oh, you you haven't changed your habits. You're 100% right. Think of it this way. If you gain five pounds a year, and that's 10 years you've gained five pounds every year, that's 50 pounds. That's what happened to me. It just yeah. crept up on me. Absolutely. What I usually ask people is, would you like to wait 24 
to 48 pounds lighter by this time next year. And most people who want to or need to lose weight will say, yes, of course. So I ask them, can you lose two to four pounds per month? Not per week, per month. Per month, yeah. And most people say, yeah, that's doable. Okay, well, if you lose two to four pounds on average per month for 12 consecutive months, that's 24 to 48 pounds lighter by this time next year. The problem, again, today is... You see the national brands advertising lose 10, 15, 20, 30 pounds, your first month guaranteed. Well, all diets will work on a temporary basis. In their extreme, they're hard to stick with, and a lot of them are potentially dangerous. The other problem is 90% of people who lose weight on a diet gain it all back within a year. Some gain even more. So it's about a lifestyle change. It's about changing your diet. What I tell people is if you want to lose weight, never go on a diet. Change your diet. Right. Change your lifestyle. Change your eating habits. And that's what people don't look at. They're looking for the magic pill. They're yeah. looking for the supplement or the tea or whatever it is. You don't even have to do exercise to lose weight. Because 90 to 95% of our weight issues are based on what we put into our mouths. Yeah. And when I what? tell that to people, they look at me as if I'm from a different planet. <laughs> Well, because it goes against all the stuff that they're being sold, right? Every day we're told by social media, the internet, the advertisements on TV, immediate, quick, lasting weight loss is possible if you, you know, in six easy steps for twenty nine ninety five and 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 five payments. So that that you go wait. It's going to take time. I have to actually make some changes. And that may, I mean, I, I, I don't want to get into a, an even broader discussion of, of the decline of our society, but that may be more uh, indicative of a larger social change, ad, uh, abdicating personal responsibility. To, well, yeah. You know. Think of it this way. A diet is like a sprint. Mm -hmm. There's a finish line, and a lot of people, when they cross that finish line, revert back to their old eating habits, where a lifestyle change is a marathon, except right. in this marathon, you just keep going. So that's how I approach it. Um, and then I focus on foods that people like to eat rather than they don't like it. If you don't like something, I'm not going to tell you that you have to eat it, even if it's healthy, because right. you won't enjoy it and you're not going to do it. However, if there's something that you're eating that's unhealthy... Let's first see if we can substitute, and if there's not something we can substitute, let's find something, a way to reduce what you're taking so eventually you're you know not ingesting it at all. Yeah. Little things like that. 75% of the U.S. adult population is, over, is, is chronically dehydrated, hmm. which means they don't drink enough water. And there's a direct correlation because 72% of the U.S. adult population is overweight. 42% is obese clinically obese and what happens is a lot of times when we think we're hungry we're actually thirsty right. our bodies are 60 to 70 percent water not soda not diet soda not fruit juices or fruit flavored beverages and yet very few people are drinking water they're drinking yeah. the soda or diet soda and i get in a lot of discussions with people how diet soda causes weight gain and they're like how does something with zero calories cause weight gain well it's very simple it's made with aspartame. That's the artificial sweetener. And aspartame has 92 known side effects. One of them is it inhibits your body from absorbing vitamins, minerals, and nutrients. So now your body goes into starvation mode because you're not getting the right fuel, and it's keeping the weight on. The other thing is aspartame increases your cravings for sweetness. 
So you may have the Diet Coke, but now you're eating the cookies, the donuts, the ice cream, mm-hmm. the cake, and whatever else you can get your hands on to satisfy that craving. So that's why a diet soda with zero calories will cause weight gain. Right. Well, I think so. The the uh, and I I I want to be very clear at this point that I and I don't think you are either. Am, am not advocating for. A, a particular image that we're trying to get out of people. Not everybody should be rail thin and, and look like Michael Phelps. We're, we're not going for any of these things. And we're not criticizing any kind of body image issue. If you want to lose weight, if you're having health issues, that's it's to be healthier. It's not to, 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 to be some unrealistic image that, that, that we're, we're proposing here. It's oh, to avoid negative exactly, health. Exactly, because a thin person doesn't mean that they're not, they're, they're healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just want to be you know, clear for all the listeners out there. We're, there's no advocating of, of strong diet culture or fat phobia here. That has nothing to do with it. It's if you've tried and you've failed and you're struggling, here's some reasons why that might be the case. And here's, here's what you yeah. might need to rethink. Exactly. If you're tired or frustrated of losing the same 10 pounds over and over again, yeah. here's what you can do. And here's why you're failing. When I started losing my weight more than six years ago, the weight loss industry was $61 billion. <laughs> Today, it's over $71 billion. Okay. So it's gone up. And, and my attitude is if these diets and weight loss programs worked, we'd all be healthier and thinner. And the other thing is most of these companies would be out of business. Right. Because there wouldn't be any more people for them to help because we'd all be doing the right things. And, and I'm not a food purist by any stretch of the imagination. I do enjoy a piece of chocolate cake. I do enjoy you know, a piece of pumpkin pie or pecan pie. I just eat a smaller portion. Right. The other thing is a lot of people don't realize our food portions have been supersized without us realizing it. Yeah. In the 1900s, the average size dinner plate was 9 inches in diameter. Today it's 12 inches. At a restaurant, it could be 13 to 15 inches. Yet in Europe, a dinner plate is still nine inches in diameter. So what I tell people is use a salad plate instead of a dinner size plate. Yeah. The other thing is when you put the exact amount of food on a salad plate as on a dinner size plate, on the salad plate it looks like you're getting more food, and on a dinner size plate it looks like you're getting less food. It's called the Delboa illusion. And so a lot of times when people will use a dinner plate for their serving size, people think they're not getting as much, so they take more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we do have a tendency to kind of eat what's in front of us on our plate, whether for 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 personal reasons that we were told as we were growing up that there are starving children in some other place in the world, or because it's just there, right? I, I, they did those experiments where when people didn't know how much they'd eaten, right? They had a, an automatically refilling soup bowl, I think, or something where where you'd eat down and and it just kept kind of kept the level constant. And people didn't, re- they ate 30% more or something on, on, on that order of magnitude because they didn't have the the way of judging how much they'd eaten. And when you have a, when you have a smaller plate, you have a, that's a, that's a great hack uh, in a way. And we're not, these, these are some shortcuts to understanding, not, not, not hacks to, to, to trick you into, into something else, but ways to kind of maximize the power of of knowing our own psychological inefficiencies let's say 
and and to get there a little bit faster. Using a smaller plate is something we could all do today, right? We could swap yeah. the swap the plate size. And I think they, they that goes along with the same research that, that goes, if you use a smaller container and then you would have to get up to get more, you're less likely to, to go do it, right? You just want to control what you're, what you're eating. You, you, I mean, people get snack food, right? And that's one of the danger of, of those addictive snacks, anything salty, sugary, fatty, all that yeah. stuff is you just keep popping them. But if you put it in a little, in a little container, I mean, even at, you probably maybe shouldn't be having a lot of that stuff in the first place, changing your diet. But even if you just decrease the amount, you'd make a dent in the... In the <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and the other thing is we tend to eat very fast because we're all busy. We're working at our desk on the computers while yeah. we're driving, watching TV. I call it mindless eating. Mm-hmm. And so how often have you been eating a sandwich at your desk and looked down and it's gone? It's like, well, where did it go? You didn't right. realize you ate the whole thing. Yeah. Or you've been watching TV and you ate the whole bag of pretzels or potato chips or whatever you're snacking on, Doritos right. or the Cheetos. And it's like, well, who ate it? Yeah, no, well, that's is- the same thing with Ben and Jerry's ice cream, right? They they continue to resist my pleas to put a halfway line down the carton so that I can stop when I hit halfway and it just keeps I'm scooping. with you, Andrew. I, I used to go through a pint of Haagen-Dazs or Ben and Jerry's ice cream in one sitting and still yeah. want more. Yeah, so I understand exactly what you're saying. And, and that's one of the things I just tell people is to slow down your eating. Mark David wrote a book called The Slow Down Diet. And what he advocates, very simple. If you take five minutes for breakfast, give yourself 10. And at a minimum, give yourself 30 minutes for lunch, 30 minutes for dinner. And yeah. focus on the food you're eating. Um, little trick for the audience is they can put their fork or spoon down between bites. Make it a game of how slow you can eat and, and pay attention to what you're eating. So that's one of the things. The other thing is people may not realize this, but the color blue is an appetite suppressant hmm. because there's only two foods that are blue, and that's a blueberry and a grape from South America. Red and yellow, on the other hand, are appetite stimulants. That's why McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Denny's, mm-hmm. and other fast food places, Carl's Jr., all use red and yellow in their marketing schemes. <laughs> well, that's I. So that gets to another thing of how we. Uh, you, you wouldn't be blamed for not being aware of what's happening behind the scenes, but there are a bun- There's an entire industry trying to get you to eat more, and 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 eat more of it and eat cheaper and uh, cheaper to make and, and less nutritious food, right? That, that, like you say, these, all these organizations are out there and you would not be blamed for not being aware of these things. But once you are, you can be mindful of them. You go, that is something that's been engineered to be addictive. Those, those potato chips, those snack food, like you say, Doritos, they have spent innumerable hours and, and dollars trying to optimize the, the enjoyment, right? They've, they've had focus groups studying how crispy the chip should be and how exactly how salty it should be. And they've played with, with all of those kinds of things. And, hey, I, it's a feat of modern engineering to make something that addictive exactly. in, that, in that chip. It's known as the bliss point. 
Yeah. And it's a term coined by Howard Moskowitz, who was in the food industry for 30 years. And that was his job. He worked with Dr. Pepper, Prego Spaghetti, Campbell's Soup, and other companies to optimize our cravings for the food. Because yeah. it's all about their bottom line, about the profit they can make. So you're right. Um, a lot of people aren't aware of it. Nowadays, people are being manipulated into purchasing plant-based imitation burgers. Mm-hmm. And they think it's healthy because it's plant-based. If you read the ingredients, you learn that it's one of the most unhealthy things you can put into your body. Right. Well, and, and of course, you also believe that it's healthier because it's plant-based, not understanding, even without looking at the ingredients, it's just as bad on a macronutrient basis as the thing that you were going to eat in the first place, right? So Actually, it's... Beef is healthier than the imitation right. beef. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's that's just it, right? It's it's not fat free. Not that we should be promoting fat free, but you know, it's it's got a bunch of fat in it. It's got a bunch of calories. It's got there's a whole bunch of stuff in it that that they have to do to make it taste like that. And in fact, that's that's what they're doing. There well, are other reasons. Things. Yeah, two yeah. things. A potato chip is considered plant based. It's vegan. <laughs> Not healthy for you, but it's right. vegan. The other thing is uh, ketchup, tomato mm-hmm. base. However, it's 60% sugar. Right. And with fat-free, that's, again, a marketing ploy because it may be fat-free. However, they're using Olean, which is formerly known as Olestra, right. which is a cholesterol-reducing drug uh, in the product. And they don't tell you about the added sugar, which right. then converts the fat in your body. So, again... People thinking, oh, it's fat-free, must be healthy for me, right. or I'm going to help me reduce weight, is misleading. Well, any of those Cheerios things. is yeah. one of the worst marketing. <laughs> it doesn't reduce cholesterol. It's not going to help you have a healthy heart. Right. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, so the, one, of the, one of the things that, again, a misnomer uh, or, or, or just a, an outright lie, that is we thought for a while that uh, cholesterol – that 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 uh, serum cholesterol, your blood cholesterol level, was was really heavily diet related. That that if you ate a, a diet low in saturated fat, that you could uh, reduce your 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 cholesterol levels. And there was some research to support that. But what they've seen is that mostly your cholesterol level is the result of genetics and. There, there are only a few things that you can do to lower it. One of them is, is taking a statin drug. But the question also becomes, do you need to do that? Now, that's a conversation between you and your doctor. Uh, but the, the fact is, eating some of these things, okay, they, the, anecdotally, they might be able to claim a few point loss. But you do that whether or not, you, that, that, that could easily occur whether or not you were eating Cheerios or oatmeal or, or, or anything else. And of course, there are things that you can do that are that are worse. But these when we look at, at I think the health food movement, whether it's this is fat free, this is sugar free, this is gluten free, what are they doing to make that food still taste palatable? Because when it comes to like gluten free, they just dump more sugar into it and, and usually more fat because otherwise it tastes like a brick. There are compromises that have to be made if you go away from the from the way that, that it kind of simply could be assembled. Exactly. And what I tell people is Ezekiel bread mm-hmm. is sprouted grain. It's not from flour. So that's the difference in why 
you're able to eat Ezekiel bread, where I don't recommend other store-bought breads. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those breads, if you open the package six months from the time you bought it, it'll look as fresh as the day you bought it because of all the preservatives in it. Uh, one of the best commercials I've, I've seen is for eggs where they're saying eggs are bad for you. No, eggs are good for you. No, eggs are bad for you. No, eggs are good for you. The truth is eggs are healthy for you. Right. It's what they've done to the eggs through the hens. And again, it's a marketing ploy. So if you see a carton that says cage-free or range-free, that's not necessarily a healthy egg. Um, because those hens are cooped up, and it means that they're allowed to go outside. But when you see how big those hen houses are, most of them don't get outside. What you want is pasture eggs, and that means that the hens are outside, and they forage for their own food, which is, you know, bugs, grass, you know, whatever, seeds, whatever they can find. Also on the cartons, if it says grain-fed, usually that's corn and soy or combination or special feed. Again, corn and soy. So when someone thinks they're gluten-free and they're eating these type of eggs, they're not. And again, it's the marketing of these eggs and, and how people are perceived. So you have to read the labels and read the cartons. So we've talked about a lot of stuff and we're kind of coming near the end here, but I want to answer or ask the the questions that I try and ask everybody. And we've covered a lot of stuff, so we may have, it may be something we've already talked about, but what do you think the biggest fallacy is in the diet and weight loss business that it seems like a lot of people buy into, but it's just utter BS? Uh, Two of the biggest myths is you need to count calories. You don't. If you're eating healthy, your weight loss journey will take care of itself and you don't need to worry about calories. The other thing is you need to exercise to lose weight. And what happens is people make their New Year's resolution to go to the gym and be healthier and you know exercise more. And after two or three weeks, they get on the scale and the scale hasn't moved and they get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Well, what's happening is they're converting their fat to muscle. And muscle and fat weigh the exact same amount. Five pounds is five pounds. The difference is fat takes up a lot more room than muscle because muscle is denser. So usually I ask people, how are your clothes fitting? And a lot of times they say, well, they're loose, and people are asking me if I've lost weight. However, the scale is not indicating. Well, don't go by the scale. Right. It's not a number. Don't buy how you're close. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so what do you think the most underrated concept is? Drinking more water. People don't realize that if you drink a minimum of 64 ounces of water, or one half of your total body weight. So if you're 200 pounds, you should drink a minimum of 100 ounces of water throughout the day. Um, If you're physically active, drink more water. If you live in a hot climate like I do in Arizona, you need to drink more water. Uh, If you're exercising a lot or, or, you know, doing a lot of strenuous activity, drink more water. Water does a couple of things. One, it acts as an appetite suppressant because you feel fuller. And number two, it helps flush out toxins from your body. So you get more benefit that way. And again, our bodies are 60 to 70% water. So why not give your body what it's made out of? That's not advocated enough in eating healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, folks, if you want to know more about David, you can follow him on his website, IamThinning.com. Follow him on all the socials and check out his books, including Break the Chains of Dieting and Discover Your Thinner Self. Links to everything are in the show notes, as always. And until next time, I'm Andrew Wallace, and we don't have a problem. We've got an opportunity. <music>